Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. All right. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel. We are hanging out in Stallions Gate, New Mexico. Dennis is locked in the imaging chamber. I'm <laughs> jumped into the accelerator. I don't know what the hell's going on anymore. You know, life is strange and fun. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. was your week? Because she's got bad breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was good. It was long. It was another long week, but it was um, for, for different reasons this time. I had uh, a couple of events at work, which mm-hmm. made for some 12 and 14 hour days um, okay. consecutively. Which you know, after you after you do that like two days in a row, you're always sort of like, don't I get a day off? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, I mean, especially when you have a little one. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But she's been great. I uh, uh, yesterday was uh, Jessica's first night out, um, kind of away from the baby. She went out with her sisters, and um, they had a, a sort of a girls' night, and I was able to watch the baby, and you know. The house didn't burn down. Um, Hattie's still here. I'm still here. So it's a win. You always feel like you always feel like you're going to kill them. Yeah, a little bit. And the thing is, because uh, <laughs> I, I can't remember if we, we've talked about this on the show before. We've gotten to a routine where one week night a week, Betsy goes out on her own. She takes herself out, and it's a good time for her to get away because I'm often away or doing you know recording podcasts on the weekends, and so she has him a lot of times during the week so it's a good way for her to to get out and have a night for herself and it's also like a a good night for just like for him and me to bond and me to put him to bed absolutely and everything and we and when we put him down like typically like he'll fuss for a few minutes and then he'll just pass out really hard Mm. when she's here and we put him to bed together that doesn't bother me at all when i'm here by myself and he fusses and then he just passes out really hard (laughs) I'm convinced I've done something wrong and I've killed him. Yeah. So yep. I'm not ashamed to say there's been more than one night I've snuck back in there to, 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 to check on him and make sure. Yeah. yeah. I have, a, I have a, a coworker of mine and she's actually due in December. And um, we were talking on the elevator the other day. She asked me, you know, how things were. And then she just looked at me and she goes, do you? you watch to make sure she's breathing? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, you're going to do that. Like, for the first few weeks in particular, oh, God. Anytime, anytime they're not in your arms, you're pretty much just going to be watching and making sure the little chest or, or tummy is rising and falling, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he's now, uh, he is really into Thomas the Tank. Oh, nice. Yeah, the Thomas the Tank engine. And so we have a, a couple of books where it's like push button, like to play like different sound effects. And we put him down in his crib with him because he loves books and he loves falling asleep with them. And the other night he fell asleep on his book in such a way that just by the very act of breathing. Oh, no. Every minute or so he would set the book off. <laughs> Did that wake him up? No, it wasn't waking him up. Just like every couple of wow. minutes, I would hear a choo-choo. <laughs> uh, and then before going to bed, like I snuck in and like 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 Indiana Jones, like taking the thing off, taking the thing out of place at the beginning of the one movie, just like sneaking in yep. and just like sneaking out the book, sneaking in his, oh, his yeah. little doggy puppet teddy bear thing that he uses. Yeah. Good times. Oh, man. 
Parenthood. You know, Parenthood is something that people can even hear more about, more more about from Dennis in particular on Dad to the Future, a award winning, soon to be award winning, I'm sure, oh. podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. Nice segue. Nice plug. Uh, thank you. Yeah, man. Hey, you know, I do what I can. I do what I can. If we when, when we talk about wrestling, I'm sure I'll get something in about mine. But you know, in the meantime, absolutely. How's that Parenthood? Going? Good, good. You know, it's uh, it's it's a crazy. Um, couple of weeks after the the big event and trying to like line up some interviews uh and they've got new japan has some big shows right now so uh we're, we're covering those but um it's good it's good you know and the, the nice thing is is that uh much like i said last week um my heart is firmly with fate's wide wheel <laughs> and quantum leap <laughs> because uh i don't know i was watching the episode this morning um with Hattie and uh, this is a great episode to watch with your kid for the first well time. you know what can yeah. I say yeah uh, there's some good lessons to be learned from it I think you know about like domestic abuse and sure creepy holograms that want to peep on you when you're changing your clothes or taking oh, a bath God. yeah we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there uh, so so yeah so we talked about before we hit record we're gonna kind of like uh, flip the segments around a little bit before we get into the like to the nuts and bolts and the air date and the leap date and whatever yeah. just initial thoughts about this episode, like what we remember from it from our childhoods. Well, I think one of the things that is important for people to know that even though we're like, you know, halfway through season three, more more than halfway through season three, uh, we do want to, you know, kind of keep growing and, and evolving and, um, and and switching up the format in the way that we have recently. It, it really didn't impact the runtime too terribly much or what we had to say about the show. It just was something different for us to try. Uh, and so far there's been no like negative feedback. So, I mean, sure. we're just, we're just kind of having fun and, and testing things out. Um, as far as recollections about this episode, it's, you know, this particular chunk of season three for me must be a time when I wasn't watching live, uh, as they aired because I don't have any kind of firm memories about this episode from when I was young. Like, I would have been um, about 10 when this episode aired. Uh, and, and so, for whatever reason, it doesn't stick out in my head. I think we had just moved... No, we'd, we'd been there for a little while. We, we were in uh, Florissant, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. And um, we were there for a couple of years. And I know that for a fact because I remember watching the series finale live. Uh, when we lived there, but I don't have any firm memories from living there about this episode. I remember after we moved to North Carolina, watching the reruns on USA. Um, but even then it's not an episode that had a strong impression on me, oddly enough. Um, you know, about all I could really remember was the leap in, um, the, fight scene <laughs> and then the aftermath like in the hotel in Jake's hotel where Eugene Tackleberry from Police Academy fame gets hit in the face mm-hmm. like I remember that for some reason but that was about that was about it and I could remember like some of the faces sure um, you know some of the characters like um, Lauren Tom who plays Sophie um, and I think part of that was also because when I would have watched the rerun on USA would have literally been around the same time she was guest starring on Friends as Ross's girlfriend so I think that's why my brain made the connection. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that does it for me. What about you? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, I know at this point when it originally aired, like I was watching the episodes 
as they aired, so I know I watched it in real time. Uh, I don't remember much about it. It was embarrassing to watch with with my mom because sure. you, know, you know by that age, like <laughs> I, like I, I knew like you know what the what the bordello was, like what the cat Howard was, like I knew what was going on, um, and, and that um, and just uh, in my teenage years, I kind of adopted uh, one of Al's lines in this episode as uh, as oh, a thing no. that I like to say often, and we'll get there. I we'll can't get there wait. later on. We'll get there later on in the episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's yeah, that's my recollection of this episode. And 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 not to continue to date ourselves, but um, I mentioned I was almost ten, uh, like about a month shy of turning ten when this episode aired. You would have been what twelve? Mm, so what was your date? Nineteen April of ninety one. So I would be just a couple months shy of turning twelve. Okay. Okay. All right. Um. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so anyway, uh, I guess that brings us to uh, Southern Comforts, yes, which originally aired on NBC, naturally, April 3rd, 1991. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Chris Rupenthal. That's a name, of course, we recognize, uh, directed uh, quite a few episodes. In fact, he may, be, he may be our number one as far as episode number directed. Um, and written by Tommy Thompson, which is also another familiar name, uh, who had written a few episodes um, prior to this and would write a few after this. Mm-hmm. Um, he also would serve as the executive producer of shows such as Dark Angel and The Pretender. Um, and he uh, ended up writing a grand total, I believe, of... 12, 13 episodes, um, and after this, we're going to get episodes like Heart of a Champion, which, Dennis, we're very excited to record that episode. Yes, we are, uh, if we can coordinate our schedules, we're going to have Blue Pants, Leva Bates, That's guessing right. on the episode. This will be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, that episode, of course, is about wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, play Ball, Nowhere to Run, Killing Time, some others, and then, of course, as we've said before, Blood Moon. Yes. So, speaking of... Uh, <laughs> No, no, no. I'm going I'm I'm to say that because I want to stay confined to our segments that, we, that we're uh, confined to. But speaking of play ball, I have some interesting trivia about that here in a minute. Uh, All right. But so also our, interesting our... to note about uh, Chris Rupenthal directing this episode. Usually he was a writer. This is one of I think this may be the only episode he directed. Um, oh, and there, and did only... I get it wrong? Did I, did I, did I flip-flop things? And no, no, no. I, you said, you said I, it right. I yeah. No, because I think I just... I did, but I said that he directed quite a few. I think I was I was thinking of his writing credits. Ah, maybe. okay. That's all good. Because, yeah, he's up there with the writing credits. He's got about ten. But you're yeah. right. This is the only episode he directed. Great, yeah. So uh, there's good a lot of does. great trivia. Uh, this was in Matt Dale's book, and a lot of this trivia comes from uh, the Quantum Leap podcast when they interviewed him a couple of years ago, and also from the 2009 Leap Back convention. Um, is it, this episode was a little bit nerve-wracking him nerve-wracking for him for one because like this was like the only episode that that he directed and so like on a day like when his agents were coming to like kind of check him out and support him and also see how it was going they were filming the final scene and um not like the like the final final scene of the episode but the climactic scene of the episode with the picture um Mm -hmm. at the end of the episode um and Scott Bakula basically said something like yeah I, I don't quite like I don't quite like the way this is going let's try to redo something here. Let's try a different way of, of, of approaching the scene. And so like, it turned out to be a good thing, but it was also nerve wracking in the moment of, Oh sure. Of having this curveball thrown at him, like while his people were there watching him. 
Um, sure. I would be interesting. It would be interesting to know like what was that change that we made that right. they made in the last scene. Um, and also, this was also at a time when the network was doing a cost saving measure with all of their shows, where they were insisting that every scene only got two takes. Wow. So they did a really, so they did a really interesting thing where they basically locked the studio down. So studio people couldn't come in and see that they were actually taking multiple takes and they did some trickery with the clackboard, which is like the sounder thing that they do at the start of each take. They did some trickery with the clackboard to make it look like they only did two takes, but while actually doing multiple takes. Just don't even know what to say. <laughs> hey man, yeah. you got to do what you got to do, right? Gotta like do. in in those circumstances. Yeah. When you when you've got the the overlords at the network mm-hmm. cracking the whip. Yeah. Just almost canceling your show multiple times. Oh god. Yeah. Trick your foot. Oh, uh, so we should do uh the TV guide description. Let's jump back uh, here. before we get there actually. Sure. Okay. Uh, we should also say that it is uh August 4th, 1961. We yeah. We're in New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And Sam has leapt into Gilbert Labonte. Yeah. TV guide. Uh it's a fine trick when Sam, Scott Bakula, leaps into a pimp running a New Orleans bordello and he's called on to save one of the women in the house from an unseemly demise. Uh, it's a fine trick, Dennis. It's a fine it's trick. It's a fine uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be a TV guy description without one of without one of the puns here. At least, yeah. So absolutely. talking about uh where Sam has been before this, obviously in the previous episode was Piano Man. Uh but yep. in time, Sam most recently was in June. 1961 and Kamikaze Kid. How about that? And uh, Play Ball is interesting because this episode starts on August the 4th. He's only there. He's there less than a day. So he leaps out on August the 5th. He will reappear the very next day on August the 6th, 1961 in Play Ball. Fascinating. In addition to that, in the novel verse, mm-hmm. he will actually leave here and wind up in Germany. Right. Um, the Wall. On the same day, yeah, in, in the mm-hmm. novel The Wall. So um, lots of, there's a lot, of, lot going on on this date. It's also worth noting that, again, Lauren Tom, who I mentioned earlier, her actual birth date was August 4th, 1961. That's right. Yeah. So, um there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. There's, there is a lot going on in this episode, actually. As I was watching it, it kind of surprised me. Um, and, and it's not just the volume of characters, because we get a lot of characters, um, but also when things kind of switch up on us and we end up in different locations, which I didn't expect. Even from my memories, it was like it was foggy enough to just kind of be like, oh, I guess that is where that happened. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Sure. So let's. Uh, so Sam leaps in. Uh, he's standing over a, a birthday cake with candles, and, and giving the instructions to blow. To, to, yeah, to <laughs> blow. Yeah, uh, and then all the ladies come out of hiding. Kind of a surprise party, in the fact it looked like a private celebration, but it turns out it was a surprise. All the girls are there, and then the woman who we will later come to know as Marcia says, "Hey, hey, hey! Let me give them my present." Yeah, and, don't tire him out and, before I can give him my present. 
and she and she grabs him right in the oh boys. <laughs> Indeed. And Sam gives us a nice sort of falsetto mm-hmm. oh boy. Mm-hmm. And there um, we go. Perfect to segue into uh, Marsha is played by Rita Taggart. Um, and she has done, I, I mean, lots of stuff, uh, even things recently. Um, she's got a film in post-production called Now is Everything. Um, she's been working consistently for the past uh, almost, you know, I mean, 40, 43 years. Mm-hmm. Um, she was originally in... Uh, uh, the television program Rhoda was her first credit on IMDb where she played Groovy Girl. Um, And then, of course, you know, throughout most of the 80s did uh, a lot of the TV stuff like so many of our actors have. Um, She had a stint on Night Court for a while. Um, She was also a a voice actor on a show that I am sure I heard her many, many times when I was growing up, Inspector Gadget. Um, oh, who was she on Inspector Gadget? Uh, she played multiple characters. Thelma Botkin um, was was the character that she played the most, um, but just a bunch of other you know voice work in there. Uh, she did an episode of Columbo. Uh, she had a run on Coach. Um, just you know, lots of lots of television all through the eighties and nineties, um, and and even recently, uh, where the bears are, which I guess is a television program. Um, I know nothing about it whatsoever. Uh, it's a comedy mystery web series that follows the exploits of three gay bear roommates living together in Los Angeles as they attempt to solve the murder of a party guest that turned up dead in their bathtub. And now all I want to do is watch this series. <laughs> <laughs> you see when you said when you said bear and gay bear in my head I conflated bear the animal and bear the term as far as how bears are referred to in the yes. gay community uh, so, yeah. so I was picturing some bear bears nice that's hilarious yes um, coming soon to the cartoon network or, yeah bear bears. adult swim yeah um, um, and one more thing there's a Columbo reference. Uh, in addition uh, to being an actress, she's also a cinematographer uh, known for Mulholland Ma- Drive. Yes, that's correct. Which I've never seen, actually. Uh, and The China Syndrome. Yeah. And she was also in The China Syndrome. I uh, had a small uh, uh, role um, in that as well. Um, interesting enough, this episode actually has a few names that I think people, if they don't know the name, would absolutely be familiar with the face. Um, David Graff being one of them, mm-hmm. who unfortunately passed away in 2001 at the age of 50. Yep. Um, but his probably most well-known role was Eugene Tackleberry from the Police Academy movies. Um, and when I say Police Academy movies, I mean he did them all. Every single one. Um, but his career uh, stretched back to 1981 with an appearance on the Dukes of Hazard. He also had guest roles on MASH, uh, Lou Grant, The A-Team, uh, so a, a lot of 80s television. Um, he was, you know, he did Airwolf, so obviously it had some exposure to Don Belisario before this. Um, and again, I want to just reiterate seven <laughs> so, so I was looking uh, deep on the IMDb page, and I don't know if they're related, but mm-hmm. the guy who plays Carl, uh, yes. who's in the one scene, his last name is also Graf, David Allen Graf, and so it's not listed on his IMDb, bu- IMDb bio whether or not they're related. Yeah, but I'm I'm curious. 
I don't know. I, yeah, I would be curious as well. Uh, worth noting that he also played the character of Bob Neal on the Elvis television series, um, which aired in 1990. Um, it, it would then re-air um, numerous times, especially around Elvis's birthday, um, on like TNT, uh, etc. Uh, but it was retitled The Young Elvis, because the show unfortunately only lasted for about 10 or 12 episodes, I believe, and so it only covered... The young Elvis, although the, the, the original plan was for it to cover, you know, the, the bulk of his life. Um, the reason why that's of note is because the actor who played Elvis in the Elvis television show, Michael St. Gerard, would indeed play the mirror image of Elvis in Quantum Leap's Memphis Melody episode. Um, or Medley, not Melody. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, uh, so, yeah, so he, he was on that show. Uh, again, numerous television appearances. He did a Star Trek Vo- uh, Voyager. Uh, he also did a Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We always like to point those out. Um, he did some voice acting and uh, video game acting uh, also for Star Trek. Um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, The Fallen, Star Trek Voyager Elite Force. And, of course, he would uh, come back to the fold of Belisario Television by doing a guest shot on JAG. Um, and some of his final roles included um, a couple of episodes of The West Wing and playing a character in his final role by the name of Jacques Douche in the show Son of the Beach, uh, which if anyone remembers oh, that show Son all, of the Beach. I do remember that. To, uh, to, to jump back, are you, you're, you're an Elvis fan, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I am. Do you ever listen to the podcast Revisionist History? Yeah. Absolutely. Have you listened to the episode that analyzes uh, parapraxis, which is the, the 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 technical like psychological term for a Freudian slip? And no, I've not. So uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the host of that show, he explores mm-hmm. uh, parapraxis, Freudian slips, and analyzing how many times Elvis in concert screws up the song "Are You Lonesome Tonight." <laughs> and he links it to how his heart got broken after was it Priscilla and him got divorced? Were they still married when? Yeah. Uh, how he links it back to it was all a part of after his heart got broken after Priscilla and him got divorced. Interesting. And it's it's a really uh, and, and then they go, they go off and they, they do some other interviews with other musicians and it's yeah it's a really interesting episode. Yeah, I would I would like to hear that. You know, it's interesting because in some ways I I, I, I don't dismiss that theory at all, but I, I think that it's even more interesting to think that um, he was a lonely guy regardless, mm-hmm. and even when he was married, because it, it, you know there there had never been anyone else in the position that he was in. Mm-hmm. You know, these days celebrities are a dime a dozen, quite frankly, and no one had ever had the status that he had had before him. Um, you know, I think that there was a, a certain amount of loneliness that he had even before he was famous. But then, you know, once he became famous, it was very difficult for him, uh, I think, to engage with people uh, on any sort of real genuine level because all they saw was Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that'd be very interesting. I would, yeah, I would go love, check I would that love out. to listen yeah. to that, actually. 
Uh, also worth noting uh, that we have Dan Butler, who plays uh, Jake Dorliac. Mm-hmm. And of course, yes, if that last name seems familiar, it was indeed named for Jean-Paul Dorliac, uh, the costume designer. Um, Dan Butler is another guy that I'm sure you've probably seen, most known for... Um, uh, Frazier mm-hmm. playing Bulldog Briscoe sure. uh, for more than 50 episodes, but uh, you know, working all the way up until this day, uh, recently on the Mist television show, uh, his career started back in 82 with a, a guest spot on Remington Steel, um, and just lots of stuff, both television and film, Silence of the Lambs, Columbo, Roseanne, um, Life Goes On, he would actually come back to Quantum Leap and Mirror Image. Mm -hmm. Um, He had uh, uh, roles in The X-Files and Star Trek Voyager, of course. Uh, He also had some guest spots on Caroline in the City and Just Shoot Me, which if anyone remembers their late 90s NBC Thursday Night Must See TV, you probably saw some of that. Uh, He played Gene Krantz on From Earth to the Moon, um, which is notable for the fact that that's the role that Ed Harris made famous in Apollo 13, Um, but he would play that up uh, in in the From Earth to the Moon miniseries. The episode that actually focuses on Apollo 13 is notable because it does not show the astronauts in space at all. It focuses only on what's happening on the ground. And it's it's remarkable, I think, because obviously the people involved with that show, like Spielberg and Hanks, um, were well aware of what the film had, had done, so they sought to kind of not do that. Um, so they focused more on the media attention surrounding it and what was happening um, at Mission Control. Um, he would also go on to do uh, American Dreams, which was a show from the early 2000s that some people may remember. It was fairly popular mm-hmm. um but yeah you know another guy who's just very recognizable i think um and uh is from fort wayne indiana ah, which is where that, one of yeah. my uh, my groomsmen is from as oh, well actually yeah. so uh, to jump back to cover uh gina uh is played yeah. by georgia emelin i believe that is correct and uh it looks like her imdb page her credits end at, in 2000 yeah. Uh, a lot of TV shows, a lot of guest spots. She was in uh, Space Cowboys as Jerry's girlfriend. Have you ever seen Space Cowboys? I, you know what, honestly, I've not, believe it or not. I, I feel like I should have at some point, but... I saw that in the theaters in college. Oh, boy. That was, you know, you know, you put James Garner in anything, and I'm there. Uh, you know, that, I, I can stand by that statement. Yeah. I mean, it also had Clint Eastwood and Tommy Lee Jones and... Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, you mentioned her before, uh, Lauren Tom. It's interesting to note, uh, she's listed on IMD as Sophie. If you watch the show with subtitles, as I did this morning on Hulu, uh, she is just listed as prostitute one. Uh, little Bo Peep. Yeah, little Bo Peep. And, uh, <laughs> and the other, uh, and the other, uh, prostitute, or to use the, the more, uh, PC term now, sex worker, uh, Diana, Diane Delano. Um, she was just, they were just listed as prostitute one and prostitute two in the, in the subtitles of the episode. Poor ladies. Uh, No respect. Um, Lauren Tom is interesting because her, her career, uh, also starts around 1982. Um, but she's extremely prolific. 
Uh, I, I would say more so than almost anyone else. And, and the thing that's that's really cool about her IMDb page is that there's a ton of voice work. Um, there's uh, uh, you know lots of guest spots, but not just like an episode. She's usually doing multiple episodes. Um, uh, you know whether it's something like Pretty Little Liars, which is you know more recent, um, or you know going back to Men in Trees. Uh, I don't know, that was just what was in front of my face when I saw it. But also Friends, uh, of course, being the big one where she played uh, Ross's girlfriend for a number of episodes, and that character's name eludes me right now, which is crazy, considering that I actually watched it not too long ago. Julie, that's right, Julie. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a fairly robust mm-hmm. cast. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing to mention here is that we can't actually, even though there is an actor listed, we really can't talk about the mirror image because we don't get a mirror image. We get a painting. No, we do get one mirror image. See, that's what oh, that's what we? I thought originally. Uh, there is uh, there's a blink and you'll miss it uh, part. I clearly I blink. Yeah, it's uh, it's later. Uh, I think it may be right after they finally get all the guys to leave after they sing after Ooh. they sing them to death and finally they get them out of there. He uh, tries to play charades. Yeah, with him. there's a there's a, a short scene with Sam and Al, and uh, Sam holds up like a little hand mirror, and he holds it. And like with the hand mirror, it was a very easy like way to to trick it. Like you're over Scott Bakula's shoulder, but they angled it. it just right. You had the mirror image, but I mean it was like it was like an extreme close up of this guy's face, and almost uh, if you remember what Chris Rupenthal looks like, by the way from from uh, the Halloween episode. The mirror image almost looks like a poor man's Chris Rupenthal. <laughs> the poor man, the poor Chris the Rupenthal, poor ladies and gentlemen. Chris Rupenthal. <laughs> uh, well, it's funny because when I saw when, when I when I saw the painting, all that really could come to mind immediately was uh, pictures that we've seen of Don Belisario, only. Mm-hmm. You know, with like with black hair, um, sure. Because I feel like the man's had like salt and pepper hair since he was like ten. Because every picture I think I've ever seen of him is like you know either salt and pepper or completely gray. He came out looking that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the mirror image was played by Richard White. He only has three three credits to his name, and uh, <laughs> your home is collapsing around you there. I know things are falling on me <laughs> yeah. here. Sorry about no, that. Uh, and then also of note is. Uh, Mini Summers Lindsay. Oh yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, just the, it's just the housekeeper. Is she not given a name at all during this episode? I guess not. No, okay. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Um, she lived to the ripe old age of eighty nine, but also passed away in two thousand one, much like David Graft did. Uh, interesting to note that she died on December thirty first, two thousand one. She saw the whole year. The whole year. Oh. Um, yeah. She would have actually been uh, uh, 70, what, 79 at the time this episode was made. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was already up there uh, when this episode was made. Um, but she would continue working even after this. Uh, had some guest spots on shows like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, Sister, Sister. And, but her career um, didn't even start until she was already uh, in her 60s in 1974. So, um yeah, she was around for about 20 years or so, working as an actor in her 60s and 70s and into her 80s, and I think that's freaking awesome. I love those stories. Uh, where did right. I, where, uh, I can't remember what program I was listening to recently, but they were, uh, and I heard this story before, but I was reminded that, uh, I, I don't know the actor's name, but she played uh, Mrs. Landingham 
on the first on oh, the first yeah. season of The West Wing. Very similar mm-hmm. story. Uh, like late forties, fifties. I think husband died, kids were out of the house, and she just wanted yep. to 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 basically start all over and try something new. And then she went on. She was Mrs. Lanningham. She was on at least the first couple of seasons of Desperate Housewives. I fell off of Desperate Housewives after after the first couple of seasons, but. Uh, yeah, same here, actually. It, you know, it's funny because uh, Anne Haney, who was uh, the social worker in Eight and a Half Months, also had that same story, uh, basically, yeah. where, you know, her daughter had moved out and, and uh, her husband had died and um, the maid quit and she decided to try her hand try at something acting. something new? Um, That's awesome. And also passed away in 2001. 2001. That was a... Man. I mean... We just, had, we, we just had the anniversary recently, too, so it's, you know, September 11th is also... Refresh our mind here, right. but also that was yeah. just yeah, that was just a bad year. You know, an interesting thing to tie it into what you were saying as well. Uh, Anne Haney played a character on the in the American President, which is also an Aaron Sorkin film. Uh, Miss Chapel, uh, which, if I'm not mistaken, is a character. No, I'm not mistaken. Is a character eerily similar to Mrs. Landingham. Uh, and of course, uh, there's a lot of stuff in the American right, President yeah. that if you if you watch The West Wing afterwards, you're just sort of like, oh, Michael J. Fox's character is Rob Lowe's character, and, and like, there's so many parallels um, between the, between the the two films, in spite of the fact, of course, that one is sort of more of a romance and the other is not. <laughs> exactly. The other is the greatest television show. Uh, ever made, it is, and, and, so, and as know. we go on, that show just becomes more and more fantasy. But anyway, I know I used to watch it and smile. Now I watch it and, and just oh um. <laughs> yes, I was late to the party. I like I'd only seen bits and pieces of it. I didn't like it. Watch I didn't watch it all the way through um, until the months leading up until the 2012 presidential election. Mm. Actually, um, and I made it all the way through. I don't uh, see uh, was it seven seasons? Uh, se- seasons yeah. five and six are just yeah. Because that's after they fired Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, in some ways, even though I call it the greatest show ever made, in some ways the show kind of stops for me around season four, mid-season four or so. They, they, a lot of things kind of went wrong, I think, and, and, and some missed opportunities. And, you know, even when Aaron Sorkin was on the show, there are a couple of storylines that just kind of get dropped or fade away or don't resolve themselves in any kind of interesting way. And it's, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a little unfortunate. But, I mean, that said... Those first couple of seasons are among the best written, you know, stretches of television ever. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and, and I think that I don't know how to overall, when you just look at the whole, you know, with, with actors like Bradley Whitford and, um, you know, Janelle Maloney, and, and, and I mean, the, the, the cast is, is golden. And I mean, my God, look at what Allison Janney has done. You know, yes. Past few years yeah. In particular. So um, it's a sterling cast and it's excellently written and. I mean, look at what Aaron Sorkin's done. You know, look at look at the Social Network. I mean, the Social Network again is probably one of the best written films I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, legit, like it's written so incredibly well. It is, anyway. yeah. I yeah, I haven't seen that movie since it was first in theaters. Anyway, uh, so jumping in, so uh, so we had talked about we talked about this on social media last week, and then we just kind of fell off this conversation, uh, honestly, just because like we got busy with work. Uh, is with these new segments doing episode synopsis and having listeners record the episode synopsis for us and submitting them, uh, and even throwing a little snark on them. If, uh, if, uh, if you don't care for the episode, I I love Diana's comment that 
that Revenge of the Evil Leaper cannot cannot be prepared for her. <laughs> <laughs> cannot be prepared for her for her recap here. Um, I, you know, hey, man, the episode might not, but I am. I'll tell you what, I would love to listen to what she has to say. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so, yeah, without doing a, a synopsis of this one, we'll start incorporating that in the next one. Let's jump into uh, what do we think about this episode? What are some moments that stick you know, out to us? I have to be honest with you, it kind of surprised me um, because I think that while it it feels you know, a bit like a standard Quantum Leap episode, and that's not a, a knock on it at all. Uh, I, I think it actually, it delivers. Um, you know, the, the the resolution is a little weak, although I'm actually going to use it as one of my standout moments because I think that the, the, the way the moment is shot and the way the moment is done works, but when you look at it in terms of the overall arc of the episode, it, it feels, it feels more like denouement as opposed to climax. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like they snap his picture. He's given some money. The sheriff's there. It's like, Oh, that's a great gag. You played on him and I guess it's going to work and that's cool. But it feels like the climax is almost more Al's reading of what happens in the future as opposed to, yeah, you know, getting this guy, uh, um, caught with his hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, to, yeah, to jump ahead and discuss the, the, the last scene. I, I like the final scene because it's different from what we see from most episodes, especially around this area. Usually it's like an, an action packed final climactic sequence that, that involves some kind of fighting or action heroics or- from Sam. Or at the very least, it's a very high drama. He's giving birth. There's this, you know, make or break dance scene. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, a, a future boy. There's all this emotional drama. I mean, there's it, this felt very subdued compared to a lot of those. I yes, think. Uh, but this is uh, it, it is something that we don't see often. Where Sam and Al and the other characters they know something that we don't know yet. Like, the, mm-hmm. like they, they've hatched this plan overnight, but as we are watching the scene unfold and as, uh, Dan, what's, uh, what's the, the character's name, Dan Butler, uh, when Jake Dorliak, oh, Jake. Yeah, yeah. when he comes in the next day to, to collect his wife and I, I want to unpack that here later on too, uh, when, yeah. when, when he comes in to collect his wife and they're doing this group photo, like you know that a plan has been hatched because like the, the previous scene fades out of Al about saying, Hey, we're going to think of something. We're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. You know that something is happening, but we, we don't know what their scheme is and we don't yeah. see episode. We don't see moments like this often in the show. That's a very good point. That's a very, very good point. In fact, you don't even really get a strong sense that something's up until Sophie, little Bo Peep, prostitute number two, whatever sure. we're calling her, uh, Lauren Tom's character shows up. And once she shows up, that's when it kind of starts, you're sort of like, oh, okay, something's about to happen. But before that, you're just sort of like, well, this is weird, but all right. Um, yeah, it's, it is an interesting sort of resolution. That said, um, you know, there are, there are, there are a number of, of very strong scenes in the episode. Um, I think the interactions between uh, Marsha and Sam um, are, are worth talking about because 
Um, there's this, you know, romantic subplot there that Marcia is supposed to get married to Gilbert. Uh, we get the sense that much like what is actually happening in front of us, Gilbert is not into the whole deal as much as Marcia is. Well, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, to, yeah, I mean, to talk about that and unpack that, like, um, so there are scenes earlier on where, you know, we find out that Marsha and Gina are cousins and Marsha has brought Gina there and, and is keeping the fact that they're related, they're, they're related secret from Gilbert. But she says several times in that one scene, if Gilbert finds out, he'll throw the both of us out. Yeah. And watching it, like, it, that, that's interesting because... Is that true? Is Gilbert really that petty for whatever reason? Or does Marcia have such... Has she been burned by men so much throughout her life that that's an assumption that she's that she made that isn't true? I, you know, that that's a great question. And there is a part of me that thinks maybe it lies kind of somewhere in between Gilbert being elusive, perhaps is a good word for mm-hmm. this, and also for her being jaded. Because I think that you get the sense that Gilbert, career path aside, uh, is is actually a good person. You know, that he's not mistreating these women. Um, I, I think one of the best examples is that when Sam stops the sailor from taking Gina up the stairs, which is another great scene, uh, his reasoning, like what he comes up with in the moment about no one does anything here. They don't want to do is supported by everyone. So it gives you the sense that that, while that might not be like a rule that's actually on the you know the wall somewhere or whatever in in the writing it it is kind of an assumption that they all follow and to me that that speaks to their being you know for lack of a better word perhaps a better uh, a little bit of a nobility about him you know that that he he kind of sees it as his duty to uh you know maintain um i don't know these Ladies on it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, but, 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 to, but to say, you know, yeah, no one does anything they don't want to do here. And I think that that's important because the larger discussion, that, you know, uh, about sex work in general, it, it, the idea that if it's a choice and that no one is being forced into anything, that... I mean, who the hell am I to to find anything wrong sure. with it? And for that matter, who the hell is anyone else to then just naturally assume that that person is, you know, uh, the the classic definition of a slut, or 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 you know, just gives it away, or is is anyone's for the taking? Um, and so I think that him having that moment and it being reinforced by. The, the other women in the scene. And then, of course, what our lovely housekeeper does, which she pulls out the shotgun, which is not a pump action, even though there's the sound effect for that pump oh, action. Oh, interesting. Okay. Just want to throw yeah. that out there. 
Um, but, but yeah, I, so you get the sense that, that these people stand up for themselves, but that also Gilbert stands up for them, which I think means that there's got to be some good about him. So I don't think he's just leading Marcia on. I just think that perhaps there's something somewhere in Gilbert's past or, or his character that maybe prevents him from making the connection that Marcia really wants. And maybe part of that's on Marcia because Marcia has become so jaded and she wants a fresh start. But how can she have that fresh start as we find out later in the episode when she even says, if I'm going to have a fresh start, i got to get out of here. Absolutely. Great points. But yeah, <laughs> so we find out that uh, in the original history, uh, Gilbert actually marries Paula, one of the mm-hmm. other one of the other sex workers in the house. And it's, it is interesting though. Cause now I just think about it was that we never, we never are told how Gina's death in the original history affected Marsha. Oh yeah. That's a really, you know good what point. I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, that, that, that's interesting to note. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. And, G- and Gilbert and Marsha's relationship, yeah, cause you, you don't, you never are told like what, how Gilbert might feel about Marcia or what their relationship is before. Like you kind of get the hint that they, that they had sex on occasion, maybe. Sure. But you don't get much more beyond that. You get that Marcia is you know, very, yeah, very into the idea of the relationship. Right. Yeah. You definitely get a sense that there is, that there's a fondness, um, that has to be there. Uh, but I guess the big question that, that has to be asked that we don't get an answer to at any point, and I'm not really surprised, is was Gilbert at any point taking advantage of the fact that, for all intents and purposes, he's her boss? Oh, yeah. You know, and and I think that we never get any information that leads us to believe mm-hmm. that. And certainly what Sam does while he's there, Prince Prudent. Prince, Prince Prude, I believe, the, is what the, the prudent prince. Yes, yes. Uh, the prudent prince. Yes, I jotted that down. Uh, prudish, prudish yeah. prince. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, it, it's an interesting relationship, and that's a very good point as to far, as far as what would happen had Sam not been here. You know, what happened to Marcia? Because obviously, Gilbert did not marry her. Um, I don't know. You, you got to think that there's a little bit more hope for her. Uh, Ultimately, with this ep- at the end of For the episode, sure. um, you know, another scene that I want to mention because I feel like it's it gets it gets something right, and then for me as a viewer, I don't know exactly how I feel about it. Is the confrontation between Gina and Jake um, the, the way that it starts? I think is phenomenal. Um, I think that it's it's it, it, it's a great piece of theater, if you will. Uh, and when when Jake starts slapping his hand, you know that mm-hmm. is so powerful because at this point we already you know know um, what you know where Gina's coming from, and and it's so evocative. Unfortunately, I'm not a huge fan for multiple reasons of actually seeing him beat her and whip her with the and, belt. Yes, yes. It, it feels it feels like they the point to me was gotten across and the menace was gotten across much better in the prior scene than having to be so overt about it but that's yeah. just me. so uh i i like that you like you call that scene theatrical because i mean yes there there's especially the way the way Dan Butler approaches that scene mm-hmm. uh you know like there's this kind of style of acting that you're used to seeing on on film or screen but 
uh, if you watch a lot of theater, live theater, like there's also a, a different acting style that I don't know. I, I know quite how to describe. And yeah, he is almost acting more theatrical, like he's on stage in the scene than yeah. as opposed to on TV or film. And yeah, the, the, the first part of the scene is really chilling. And the reason why the why the second part of the scene bugs me so much is that this sets out to be a more comedic episode. I mean, because you have the housekeeper and, and and her Mm -hmm. humorous moments. Like you have, I mean, just the entire sequence of Sam trying to, to stall the men from, from getting, from getting to the women by having them sing over and over again and, and suggest, and suggesting charades. You also have, uh, uh, the physical comedy of of the sheriff, uh, which which is actually very funny. I uh, I'll get into the, the sheriff's character later on, but yeah. um, and even like in, in the writing of this episode, uh, like Tommy Thompson noticed, like he had he noted like he had started off writing this episode as a more comedic episode, and then it kind of morphed into something else. Mm. And the reason why this episode doesn't work for me as a comedy is because of this scene. Yeah. Because uh, even before you get to to him actually hitting her, just that menace that he brings. Like he's not a he's not an over the top mustache twirling villain. He is he yeah, is he is well, he is dark and he is chilling and uh you know I, I can imagine that if I were a woman, if I had been in an abusive relationship before, like this, this would be a triggering scene. Yeah. You know, the thing that, yes, yes, without a doubt. And I think the thing that bothers me too, is that the first, up until that, that point, the whipping scene, everything before that, he suggests a character out of, you know, out of Tennessee Williams or, or, or even out of like Mm -hmm. Hitchcock, you know what I mean? Like there's something about him that, that is almost more unnerving because of that, then there is about the overt description of the abuse and I, I, I depiction rather of the abuse. And I think that when that happens, not, not only obviously is it triggering, you know, for, for not only women that have been in abusive relationships, but even, you know, people who've witnessed that, that kind of abuse. Uh, and, and, and ultimately like, let's face it, I've said this before. Like, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. Like if you're set out to depict that, depict that, that's, that's a choice, you know? And, and I don't think that anything should be censored because it, you know, it may upset someone. I, I think that if someone's upset by it, then walk away from it. You know, I mean, that's, that's that again, that power of that choice. So I'm not trying to, to say like, no, they shouldn't have done it at all because of what it does, but they shouldn't have done it at all because I don't think it adds anything to the story. And I think that the physicality that it then leads to between Sam and and Jake, you know, it's fine, but it, it but it feels more like a product of television of that time, you know, the action hero motif mm-hmm. as opposed to really trying to tell the story. And it, it doesn't feel like it really gets us anywhere. I don't know. It just I don't know. The, the, it, 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 things start to fall apart a little bit for me, and and I I feel like. What what we get for the first maybe like fifteen twenty minutes of this episode, and what we get for the last like ten minutes of this episode, don't mesh as well with that sort of middle part after all the action and violence occurs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a weird mix of of comedy and drama, 
which like reading mm-hmm. like like you know the behind the scenes of how the episode you know started being written and, and the twists and the turns that it taken. I, I think it's a thing of like the nature of like producing a TV show. They didn't get quite the time to sit on it and like fully flesh the story out. So it is sure. this weird. Uh, it is this weird mix that at least for me it doesn't quite work. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree, which is a shame because I don't think because I, I I agree with what you're saying. There are some really great comedic moments and beats within the story, and there are some incredibly well done dramatic beats in the story. Um, and I think that they could exist side by side, but then there's some stuff that doesn't fit quite as well, and it causes things to jumble up a bit. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Even the scene you were talking about earlier when the the Shriners come in with <laughs> yeah, the yeah, hats yeah. on. Uh, it, you know, that scene to me feels very much like padding. Like, there's really no yeah. need for it. It's completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And it raises a flag in my brain because all I can think is, what the hell do, 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 do all of the women think about this? Like, they're seeing Gilbert do all this stuff, mm-hmm. and then not one of them really, like, raises objection. They're like, dude, I want to go earn my paycheck. <laughs> You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're just sort of like going along with the whole thing, and and that's fine. But but it is, it is strange because it's like there was potential for some sort of conflict there, but then that might have felt like too much. But then the scene feels unnecessary. Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it is very different, like padding. Yeah, in the episode, like I said, like this episode started out as a, as a more comedic episode and like yes there is something inherently sure. funny about that that entire uh sequence but yes it also i was watching the rewatching it this morning and just like having the thought of the like yes what are the women thinking at this point right, right now right. i almost wanted to have like more like more like close-up shots of the women like reacting of oh, going yeah. like what the hell is going on um and i guess like maybe even like speaking to the approach um I originally watched rewatched this episode a, a couple of weeks ago with Betsy, and as we were watching this, Betsy had the question of like, Sam does this because he's afraid that one of these men is going to disappear with Gina, but Betsy questioned that strategy of just like, no, like why don't you let the men in the house, not have the house empty, and you just keep Gina isolated, and you know that. That you you have the house more more populated, and it's more likely that someone who is a bad actor, someone who has ill intent, is going to be able to kidnap Gina, as in the original history. But right. also on the flip side, like you don't know, it's you know it could have been anyone at this point in the story. We don't know that it's. That's very true. That's very, that very this true. guy. Um, yeah. Well. Hey, it's what they did. It's how the it's episode, how the episode yeah. You know, and, 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 and overall, I don't think that it... It doesn't, you know, oddly enough, it, it, the episode does not feel much more than sort of like average. But that said, it, it, you know, with, with some of the nitpicks and, and criticisms that I have, I feel like that could take some episodes to below average. And, and for whatever it's worth, I didn't walk out of this feeling no. that way about so, this one. Yeah, so going on a more positive note, uh, let's uh, shift to uh, Sheriff Nolan, played by David Graff. <laughs> David Graff. Love... Eugene yeah, Tackleberry. Thing, it's like, <laughs> on one hand, he's this bubbling character. On the other hand, like, he does bring, like, some 
you know, some common sense to the situation of like trying to reason with Sam of like, you know, between you and this guy, the head of a, of a, of a boarding school and you're the owner of a bordello, like your word against his blah, blah, blah. Just overall, yeah. the character just feels so lived in. Like I could totally see Sheriff Nolan being I spun agree. off into his own show. I mean, just like uh, just like like the, the the physical comedy bit in the hotel room of when he kicks the door in and then it comes back and he just hits him right in the face. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There's just something very lived in about his character. That yeah. uh, even like 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 in the very uh, like the first scene with him and Sam when they have together like. You know, when they're when Sam knows like what hotel the guy is staying at, because the Adams Hotel is mentioned earlier by by Carl, one of the one of the Shriner characters. And it's just like Sam reasoning with him, you know, like why we go to the hotel and like, do you want her murder on her con- on her con- on your conscious, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they, they just have a real chemistry with him in that scene. Yeah. I agree. I, you know, I, 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 yeah, I completely agree with everything that you said. And I, I think that the final scene also is another great example of the character kind of, he has this sort of unique ability to appear a bit bumbling while also it's almost like, <laughs> I can't believe this is what popped in my head. It's almost like Matlock. You know, at the end, at the end of Matlock, when he's in the courtroom, and you know, if you didn't know, if you if you'd never seen Matlock before, and you just caught the last like five minutes mm-hmm. of an episode, and the lead up to him, like you know, trapping somebody on the witness stand, like you would be like, this, what is with this guy? Like, is he, is he, like, is he all, is he with it? Like, is he all there? Like, he seems like completely out of it. He's got that folksy charm, and then all of a sudden, it's like, bam, mm-hmm. you know, and he's got him. And and that's kind of what Sheriff Nolan has in the yes. final scene. Like when he pops when he pops in, like he's got this look on his face like he has no clue what the yeah. hell is going on. At all. And the next thing you know, he's just sort of like, Well, actually we uh, can yeah. do this. And you know, this might happen and then this might happen. And it's just yeah. like, wow. You know, he just reeled him in. There's you a very Columbo esque like, quality to him. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Were you do you ever watch Columbo? I've not in a okay, long time. The, yes, the I've general, seen. I've, yeah, I've the, definitely seen Columbo. the, the yeah, gist oh, yeah. of Columbo here. Um, yeah. And then, uh, what 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 else to unpack about the themes and, and, and moments from this episode? Uh, you know, to to jump back to to Marcia, she comes on so strong. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I almost yes. it is supposed to be a comedic episode, and it's funnier that way, but. There was uh, one moment in particular, like when the when the when the other women are, are out uh, with the sailors, and she sneaks back into the room with Sam, and she basically like forces him down and like lays on top of him. It's like she comes on so strong, like you could understand like why Sam would be weirded out and want to push her away. It would yeah. have been really interesting if that was more subdued. Because then you get the question, like, is Sam weirded out by her behavior because he's not attracted to her? Because, well, uh, they're about the same age. Yeah. That speaks that that, yeah. that does speak to something that that Marcia struck well, me as older than Sam. But no, that I think about it, they should be about the same age. 
It's yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, it's you know, it's also interesting because there are a number of tropes that the episode has in, in terms of the the sex workers. You've got your your Asian hooker sure. stereotype. You've got your den of iniquity. You know, you've got your sort of um, family friendly stripper, if you will, where like. They're they're wearing these outfits that, while they're meant to be somewhat suggestive, clearly cover up everything. Um, you've got your disposable sex worker uh, trope because Gina is supposed to be murdered, you know, and, and found mm-hmm. dead. Um, so it's you know it's interesting that there that it does play into a lot of you know right down to it even masquerading as a school, you know, like a they, they what are they learning? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but you know, and and Marsha kind of plays into this sort of <sighs> den mother prostitute kind of thing. You know, like she's not really a madam, mm-hmm. you know, but she's she's the 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 elder among the group, if you will, and she you know has that sort of like den mother esque. You know, taking care of the girls, but also taking care of the man. You know, the the pimp mm-hmm. of the house. Should we really? Can we really call him a pimp? Like, I don't know. I feel like the nomenclature. Is I don't know. I mean, I the thing is, why. like, the, the proper nomenclature is now sex worker instead of prostitute. I I don't know if right. there is a, if there's a nice way to call some a nice word to call someone a pimp. I don't know. Well, apparently, apparently, a synonym that I just found on Google is procure. A procure. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know, man. I don't know. Okay. It's, you know, hey, look, look, let's face it. When, when you know, when the patriarchy's been running the world for as long as they have, uh, they apparently don't have any problem with, with pimp and have decided to embrace it, I guess. I don't, yeah, it's, uh, but, um, you know, yeah, it's all, it's, uh, yeah, watching the, yeah, this, the, this episode and Marsha's character, it's just, uh, yeah, the, just the, the commentary it makes about ageism and sexism and, Yeah. I know. Yeah. No, you're right. There is there is that feeling that. So if we you know if we look at, at legitimate sex work for, mm-hmm. for a moment, and you know it's the same thing. I think if you look at, uh, they're two different things, and, and and I definitely want to make that distinction. I'm just trying to draw a parallel between the two. But you also look at pornography, and there's not as much room in the industry for older mm-hmm. women. And I think that what you just said about ageism in particular with sex work, you know, would, would also have to be true. Um, I, I think that that's also where it becomes problematic because we have a lot of young women who are coerced into it for, you know, for very various reasons, um, you know, in, in both industries. Uh, and again, I'm not trying to equate you know, the, the, the job with one another, but let's face it. I mean, there's obviously some, some parallels that are worth drawing and worth noting. Um, you know, and, and I guess the reverse of that would be Gina, because look at Gina, Gina's like what, 19 or 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, you've got these sort of two sides of the coin, whereas Gina has almost got to be looked at as being like, She's pretty young, mm-hmm. like I, you know. I, I, if 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 I were to engage in that particular business, like that would that would seem to be too close to that line uh, for me. I, you know yes. what I mean? I yeah. And and 
and yet we're not mm-hmm. naive. We know that that is an incredibly desirable thing for many people who, you know, want to engage with sex workers or want to view mm-hmm. pornography, you know, that, and it has traditionally been mm-hmm. that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. I, I could think of like so many different tangents. Like I could go off and yeah. in this, in this room right here. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, sure. But, but why, why don't we though? I mean, cause clearly there's a thing in society in general where, you know, men, um, you know, older men pursuing younger women. And I'm not necessarily saying that there's anything wrong with that, but I also think that like, if you've got somebody in their sixties and they're dating a 19 year old, then yeah, I'm going to ask some fucking questions. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I listen, so like most <laughs> of what, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just come out and say, I have never engaged the services of a sex worker, so I don't have that firsthand knowledge. So yeah, Neither have um, I. my knowledge of it comes from, uh, a few years ago, some friends of mine were out in Vegas and, and one of my friends was going to do it. And he backed out at the last minute. Uh, and so that, like, yeah. that just set me off of, like, like going to the website. Because we're out in Vegas and, you know, not far outside of Vegas, sex work is legal. And they do have, you know, houses set up for that. So that just kind of, like, sent me down the rabbit hole of, like, looking at the website of this, um, uh, I can't think of the, Bordello, we'll just call it that, of, of this place that he went to. And he almost went through with it, but then he backed out at the last minute just because mm-hmm. of, of nerves basically um it, 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 and yeah and how it works it, it, it is very much uh at least the way it's ideally presented uh in an ideal situation the way the information that i read on their website is that it is very much like you know what sam says earlier in the episode like nobody does anything that they don't want to do and it is very like yeah. set up like you know you go out there and by the way they sent a limo to the hotel, picked him up for free, took him out there. There were alcoholic beverages for free in the back mm-hmm. of the limo on the way out there. And even after he backed out and decided not to go through with it, they still gave him a ride back into town for free. <laughs> so that kind of gives you an idea of how much money these businesses make that they can afford to do stuff like that. Um, but, sure. but basically the, like the, the way it's presented, like set up, like you, uh, you know, like, like you walk in and, and, uh, the women are walking around and basically it's kind of like this open, like bar, like mix and you can engage and you can talk to, you know, to, to one person and kind of get a, a, a feel for her, no pun intended, uh, and talk to a different one. And then eventually when, you know, you're ready to go to a room with one of the sex work sex workers, like you ask them if they want to go to the room and they say yes or whatever. Uh, but it was, there was even like a thing on the website talking about how like, basically it was, uh, it was bad form to talk about price until you actually got into the room. And, and it was <laughs> that, and basically I can't remember how exactly it was worded, but basically saying that basically the sex workers set their own prices and it's not exactly mm-hmm. a fixed thing. Like I can't remember how they put it, but basically it was like, if the sex worker finds you attractive, they may charge you less. Mm. Uh, so yeah, or I mean, you, you can go out you know there that, on a whim, or, or, or also like you could uh, basically you can almost set it up like a date where basically like you like you reserve the sex worker you want to be with in advance. 
Yeah. And then if you want to do like a, you know, a special like a fantasy room or whatever, like a classroom setting or something, you can even set that up in advance as well. It is interesting that we only see one room in Gilbert's sewing academy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of makes yeah, you wonder. Yeah, and it's very... I guess we see two. Yeah. But uh, anyway, my, my, um, you know... Go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say there's something there is something heartening and, and ultimately, I think, empowering about the idea, though, that the workers are setting their rates sure. themselves, that they're, they're, they're the ones kind of calling mm-hmm. the shots. Um, and, and, and obviously that's not what's happening in Southern Comforts. No. Um, But um, I think the idea that you can go someplace to have a good time before you have a good time, if -hmm. you will, uh, is to me... uh, I don't know. It feels a little bit more... It feels like it gives the worker an opportunity, more of an opportunity to, to decide for themselves, that, that it becomes more of a choice. For sure. That this isn't something done out of desperation or coercion or, 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 you know, being forced or anything like that. That this is something that, you know, I make a decision, I show up, I clock in, I'm hanging out, we're talking, we're having a good time. Sure, let's go. Here's what it's going to cost you. Great. Whereas, you know, I think the, the, you know, depiction that we see here is much more of the men show up, they want what they want, let's go right now, I, you know, this is what I'm here for, I'm not here for any of this other crap, sure, fine, I'll drink a drink, oh, okay, fine, I'll sing your song, but we gotta get down to business, and, and, and I think that there's something to be said for an environment where, uh, instead, it's, we go to this place, you know, we're, we're, we're just relaxing, you know, we're hanging out. We're getting to know mm-hmm. one another, you know, and now and now we're going to go take. There's this transaction that's going to take mm-hmm. place later. Um, feels a little bit less chromatic. Yes, yeah. So know. yeah, the the <laughs> my other knowledge of, of of sex work and how this works is um, another podcast that I listened to, the Tim Ferriss Show, uh, several months ago. He had uh, Alice Little, and she's like one of like the the top well known, like top earning sex workers. So he had her on the show and interviewed her, like basically how how all that works. And it very much, you know, like everything you just said, it's more like, yes, it is setting up a transaction, but there is this like getting to know period beforehand so that everyone, especially the sex worker, like goes into this, a willing participant. They're not, they're not being coerced into doing it. Um, right. And listening to the episode, I found it really interesting. Like you're talking about like the parallels between, uh, uh, sex work in pornography. She actually argues that men shouldn't watch porn. Interesting. Well, I mean, I've heard I, I've heard a lot of discussion that compares sex work more with like, sure. therapists yeah. than and it I, does, you know, in, in, in any way uh, uh, with pornography yeah. or whatever. But, well, the, um, to, what was her reasoning? What was her like, reasoning? Like, to one of the points, it's like, like one obviously, like it sets uh, it sets unrealistic expectations. Um, Absolutely, uh, but also like to talk about you know you know you talked about like uh, younger women or or underage women and how yes like it or not that that is a desirable thing. Like one of her arguments is is, is that as well regulated as the porn industry is, like if you're mm. on a website that that just offers free pornography, uh, like you know free like video snippets or whatever, 
unless you do your research, like you as a consumer of the pornography, you don't absolutely know that the person you're seeing on age isn't actually underage or what their working conditions are. Unless you, yeah, unless you are doing uh, significant due diligence to, you know, to make sure, you know, who is producing this, you know, what, what company is producing this porn? Mm -hmm. What are their work practices or whatever? She's like, you don't really know. Whereas her, uh, her argument is like her being out in like the Las Vegas area and her knowing how the sex industry works. She knows how well regulated it is like how, how they regulate themselves and how, uh, yeah, they, they, they do actually, take care of their workers. So I just yeah. found that interesting. No, it is. I mean, it, it, it is very interesting. And I think that those are some valid points. Um, you know, it's, uh, I look, like you said, we don't, we don't have the time nor the inclination to, to, to go incredibly in depth on this and unpack all of it. But I, I think that there, you know, there's a discussion worth having, even if it's just with yourself in your own head and that the kind of incredible thing about watching a nearly 30 year old piece of television that, you know, depicts a brothel in spite of it being more for comedic effects than anything, um, that there, you know, that there's, there's a dialogue worth creating out of that. Uh, and I think that it's one of the things that quantum leap can do very well just by the nature of, of the, what the show is, you know, that, that sort of, you know, anthological nature of the show, we get it, we're getting little snippets of new things every week. Um, yeah, I think that one of the other things that this episode does, uh, uh, which, let's face it, is directly connected to all of that sex work, it has to do with the relationship between Jake and Gina. Um, it, it's a very, you know, it's kind of like what we were talking about in so many ways with here's this young girl who, you know, finds herself in a situation where she needs something, and here's this older man who's in a situation to provide it. And it's clear that he basically sees this as him owning her, you know, that she owes him for, for keeping her in school, for taking her out to dinner, for marrying her, for providing her with all of these things so that when she runs off, um, now he's, you know, tracking down Mm -hmm. his property as opposed to, you know, looking for his wife. And I think that that feeds itself directly into the abuse because for him, she's, not, you know, she's not a human being that he is, you know, in a loving relationship with. She's mm-hmm. a piece of property, you know, she's, she's, you know, like, like a dog, you know, the dog pees on the floor, you spank it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that everybody does, but sure, yeah. that's, that's how he sees her, you know, as opposed to seeing her as yeah. a human being, much less his wife, much less his yeah. pregnant. Well, wife. I mean, that's perfectly illustrated, like in the scene where, um, Sam and Sheriff Nolan track him back to the hotel and, and Sam chases him out and he tackles him and and he says, like, I'm trying to I can't remember like the dialogue, but like the climax of the scene is like Sam has him pinned down and he shouts, she's my wife. And Sam kind of leans mm. back in shock. And there's almost like this, like, oh, well, that changes everything. She's your wife. Oh, maybe you do have a claim. There's, yeah, there's just something, yeah. I just, 
Uh, yeah, that moment, and then also at the end of the hotel scene, where, um, you know, where they have the argument of like whether or not Sam can press charges or whatever, and, and that's really shaky. The reasoning of like why he can't press charges, all things considered, uh, you know, considering that he was trespassing, like he did sneak into the house. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But just that that scene ends with uh, Dorliac saying. I'll be there in the morning to get my wife. And like, yeah. and it's almost like the way that seems, it's just like this foregone conclusion, like, oh, like he has a right to come get her because they're married. Right. As opposed to that scene ending, like, I don't care whether you're married or not. If you step on my property again, like that's trespassing and you will be arrested. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You're right. You're right. There's this idea that Sam has got to come up like, like all of the characters really buy into yeah, exactly that, yeah as opposed to as opposed to Sam saying like if you come near my house my you know my housekeeper is going to show up with her shotgun and you're you know not only are you not getting in but less of you is leaving than what <laughs> yeah, comes in yeah. you know right and, 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 and instead they have to figure out this elaborate plan to scare him away trap him instead yeah. of just saying no she doesn't want to be with you go now, away I will I will throw. Sam a bone here, frankly, though, with the, the idea that, let's face it, I mean, he's, throughout the entire episode, he is definitely presented as someone who is incredibly sympathetic to, to Gina's plight. Like, I don't think he in any way is just sort of like, oh, well, they're married. I guess there's nothing mm-hmm. I can do. He just, I think, feels maybe a little bit restricted by the societal perspective of sure. what that means. Uh but speaking of like, let, let's let's talk about Sam and let's talk about like this weird possessiveness. He has this weird. It's not attraction, but he does have this weird uh, draw to Gina. Like there's there's a line early mm-hmm. in the episode, like she he says that like she doesn't fit in here. She seems just as lost or just as out of place, just as out of place as I am. She's well, lost yeah, as me. She's just, just as lost as me lost here. And then there's one scene where. Uh, Marsha is getting ready to go talk to Gina to see, you know, what was wrong, like why she was upset, and like Sam, like stops Marsha and like like actually grabs her by the shoulder, and says like, no, like I'll go do it, like I can do this better. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? You know you know what I couldn't help but think of mm-hmm. during this episode, especially there's one point when they're, I think it's when they're in the kitchen, and it might be right before Al tells mm-hmm. Sam she's pregnant. And I wish, and it's not, you know, it's not that type of show and it's not today because today it's absolutely something I think that a television show would do. I wish there would have been some sort of callback to Goodnight, Dear Heart. Because if you think about it, this is almost his opportunity to try to to get there before. You know, in Goodnight, Dear Heart, he gets there after right. the fact. The girl's mm-hmm. already dead. Now he's there before. You know, and and, and and I'm not saying that there's any other parallels or what whatever, but I think that there's something, I don't know, there's just something about the way that maybe he sees her and the way that he's relating to her um, that felt similar enough yep. that it made me kind I of think about that. I didn't see that connection, that. but yeah, totally see that. Um, you know, the fact that, the, that she's basically this orphan mm-hmm. girl. You know, out of place, and and that's who mm-hmm. Lilla was. You know, um, now let's face it: this episode, n- n- no way, even gets close to the incredible uh, 
quality of mm. that episode. Uh, but I, I don't know. I I get what you're saying, and I, do, I don't disagree. I, I definitely don't think it's it's an attraction. Although although I will say that at one point as I was watching it, not really remembering you know how it resolves, there was a part of me that was just sort of like. God, is, is this episode going to skeeve me out a little at the end? Does Gina end up with Gilbert? Uh, no, you know? Yeah. No? Luckily, Luckily no. no. Yeah. <laughs> Although she does name her She does. Gilbert. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I kind of I, I got um, the idea that, I mean, one, she, like, she's, she's in, a, in a weird situation and she's trying to hide the full truth from Sam slash Gilbert. But part of me does wonder if, if she was maybe a little creeped out by Gilbert. Mm. Well, you know, another thing the episode doesn't do, and this could be for a number of reasons, is that we don't get the sense of how long she's been mm-hmm. there exactly. I mean, we do kind of, but that's not... Okay, we, we we get an idea of how long she's been there. We don't get a sense of what she's done sure. while she's been there. Has she entertained anyone else? You know what I mean? Has she, has she put in any work? Oh, no, you know I, I, mean? I got the sense that... I got the sense that she hadn't been in there long and that they that her and Marsha maybe had found a way to maybe fool Jabert into thinking that she was working, but I don't think she was ever actually having sex with anyone. Yeah, I, I find that unlikely too, but the thing is is doesn't um doesn't Jake say something when he's going when he's first there that he's looking for a girl who ran away like a couple months ago or something like that? So she so so it would seem to me that she's been there for you know probably yeah. six eight or, weeks. I mean, yeah, or something close to that. So I, I think it kind of yeah. stretches credibility to think like how long she could be staying there and keeping that from Gilbert. But I never got the right. sense that she had ever actually had sex with someone. Which in that case, you know, I, I, I guess. We get, then we are we are then able to get the sense that this isn't a situation the cliched situation where you know the pimp oh oh yeah I, gets to have sure. time with you know his workers or whatever you know you get the sense that he is probably monogamous mm-hmm. to Marsha I guess I don't, I don't know yes I think we are in kind of a more uh, idealized version of what a 1960s bordello might be. Well, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Just maybe for the sake of, of, of you know, of quantum Sure, leap. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but let's, uh, yeah, let's move on to Al, how he behaves in this episode. We get, we get classic le- lecherous Al. <sighs> yeah, you know, it, I guess the thing that's weird about it is that even the way that things are shot and depicted, you get the sense that Sam is ruining Al's fun, as opposed to Sam trying to keep Al in line. And I think some of the scenes when you watch it, it, it I, you know, maybe that's their way of making Al more likable. Maybe that's also the idea that what Al is doing, they didn't see anything wrong with, really. You know, that, 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 that Sam is just being a prude that it's like, oh, we'll let Al have his fun. I don't know. It, there's, there's something about that that bothers mm-hmm. me. You know, the idea that Sam is spoiling Al's fun as opposed to, you know, Al's being a creep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely spun in that way. Yeah. 
Especially that mm-hmm. final scene when he wants to go up and follow Paula up the stairs yeah. to watch her take a bath. And Sam's just nope, like, not nope, this time, yeah. buddy. Yeah. And I was like, no, don't yeah. ruin this for me. Ugh. What are you going to do? His outfits are great. I don't know. Luckily, luckily Dean yeah, Stockwell. Yeah, his amazing, outfits are great so. in this episode. His outfits are great they, in this episode. They are. Right. Uh, are there any other like really great moments in the episode that we haven't talked about or, or notable things? I do like uh, Al's line of calling Sam the prudent prince. I did, uh, I did jot that down. Yeah. I, he, uh, he also no, has a line yeah. at one point, uh, I'd hate to see a grown man cry, especially when it's me. Uh, I think that's what. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, the the women are going into town, and and Marcia is basically getting getting ready for for him, and and Al can see what's coming. Uh, right. But oh oh yeah, the, the the line that I like to throw around when I was in, when in high school and college, yes. Al's line: uh, "Don't do anything I wouldn't do, but if you do, take pictures." Uh, yeah. And I was like watching it this go. time, like I realized. I don't know if this was intentional, but that kind of foreshadows the end of the episode because that's what they end up doing. (laughs) Yeah, taking pictures. It also speaks to, you know, today's, you know, issues in particular with, you know, youngsters. Going back to what you're saying about pornography and watching it on websites and the Internet and stuff like that. I mean, these days, you know, kids... Teenagers and college students have, you know, cameras in their pocket and the amount of illicit photographs and videos that slip out there. For oh, the God. Entire I mean, I mean, not to, to mention in some cases where where kids are uh, prosecuted for for pornography, for, yeah. you know, being underage and right. taking these photos of themselves and sending them. I've said this before. I am I am so glad we did not have the technology that we have now when I was a teenager uh, yeah, I was, no, I was, I was a pretty, yeah. I was a really tame teenager, but just yeah. to have that temptation there and that lack of judgment, right? And to, you know, yeah, and slip and 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 send something that I wasn't supposed to send, or you know, or on it like like trying to to get my girlfriend to send something that she wasn't supposed to send. Like, yeah, I, I'm just glad that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think though, I, I feel like we have kind of covered it, uh, you know, the stuff that stands out, uh, the interactions obviously with the housekeeper, I think are, are mostly just lovely. And, uh, the, the one thing that we didn't necessarily touch on specifically is when Sam first takes Gina back into the kitchen cause she's not feeling well and the housekeeper mm-hmm. made her that drink and then uh, she leaves and she's like, you know, but you have to stir my gumbo. And he's like, yes, ma'am. Just don't yeah. sass me. I, I really like that exchange yeah. actually. Um, and then the, the scene in the kitchen again, towards the very end, uh, not even in the kitchen where, yeah, with the housekeeper, cause, uh, yeah, but when you find uh, out, he offered it to me, he offered to me, he pregnant. even offered it to me. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, he even offered it to me. The look oh, on yes. Sam's face, too, yeah. when she says that was pretty priceless. Uh, and then also, like, we, you, you um, touched on this before, like, uh, you know, that, that final scene, it's like, we see this thing unfold, and then we find out what happens to Jake just by way of Al explaining everything. And we go to those cases where, you know, where, like, they explain the happy ending by saying that, you know, so-and-so get together and they have so many kids. This one goes the opposite way. Like right. it turned out so badly for Jake, he wound up in the loony bin because of his yeah. because anger because of his issues, anger issues. Uh, and you know that that's nice, but the the more realistic outcome is it probably ended up, you know, if not beating someone to death, he probably ended up 
abusing someone all over again. That would, that would be the more realistic. Yeah, that would be well, the more realistic hey, that's, outcome. That's right. That's the pattern, um, right? Yeah, because without a doubt, you know, yeah, yeah. we we know. Yeah, and the other thing is, like that. now now that I'm saying this out loud, that in a weird way, like that, uh, the episode lets itself off the hook in that way, just by that his anger issues ended up getting getting him committed to the loony bin. It's like they come up with a solution to get him out of Gina's life, but they don't come up with a solution that doesn't stop him from harming anyone else. And if his anger issues got him into the loony bin, you know he ended up hurting someone else before it was all right. over well, with. Well, you know, I, I, first of all, I, I don't disagree at all. I will say that maybe we can offset that by the fact that Sam didn't just save one life. He saved two because initially the baby was never born. So now the baby's born. So two people are alive that were not going to be alive initially, uh, which I guess is Mm -hmm. worth noting. Um, But no, you're right. And, and, and I think the other thing is to equate, I'm no kind of expert, obviously, uh, but to equate that abusive, angry mentality with, you know, mental illness. Um, mm, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Is, is a little sticky wicked I mean, as well. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that it is, it does raise Yeah, I can't imagine, I mean, especially at that time, just like a man's anger issues getting him put into a mental institution. You know? Right. Yeah. I think I think you know I I wonder if it wasn't more the paranoia the idea of he's always looking over his shoulder sure. expecting at any moment the other shooter dropping that picture uh, okay. or something it, but again I think that that's the reason too why it ends up feeling a little flimsy uh, the, you know and, and the resolution doesn't quite feel as as sure. tight as it could be and and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head because you're right it feels like he he kind of he's yeah. out there in the world not that he should wind up dead or or anything like that but. You know, that that perhaps, I don't know, perhaps there was a way to scare sure. him straight as opposed to make him look over his shoulder and, you know, go mm-hmm. crazy. And I say that very, you know, yeah. lightly. I don't know. I don't know. Well, That's no. interesting. Yeah. So let's move yeah. on. Uh, mythology. We don't learn anything new about... Ziggy's a he. Ziggy gets called uh, a he. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, Ziggy gets See, called I, a he at one point because Sam says something like he always gives me bad news. Sure, I feel like at, at this point, like he's uh, up until we get to to next season, I feel like Ziggy's always called a he. Yeah, I don't think he's. I, I don't think. I don't think Ziggy's. Okay, I don't think so. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't think so. But yeah, I don't. We, we we don't learn really anything else new about the project. We don't even we don't hear any stories about Gilbert back in the waiting room or or anything like that. Um, it is interesting to note we kind of touched on this. Is like this is one of the few times where Sam consents that he's about to leap out. Uh, right. Which we, we get that in another mother is the first episode we mm, really get that. Yeah. In, I think. Uh, so yeah. And then for that, uh, San Dimas time, time travel twists. Um, the only thing I can think of is what I just mentioned earlier, which was that the fact that now we've got two people out in the world. That yeah, we there's a, not. well, there's not. It's uh, the episode is flimsy and it kind of glosses over how we know what is it in a couple of weeks or a couple of months that Gina is going to be found dead 
160 mm-hmm. miles away. And Ziggy just somehow knows that the events of Gina's death start at the bordello on this night. There's a 60% chance that she's taken from the house, but there's no clear explanation of how Ziggy knows that it all starts here. And then later in the episode, when Sam throws out the idea of like, well, I'll, I'll just take her and leave. Al says that Ziggy says leaving with her is too risky. And it's and it's all just plot yeah. device to keep Gina in the house. Man, now I'm thinking this isn't a very good episode. <laughs> I mean, this kind of stuff is always kind of flimsy of how Ziggy knows things and doesn't know things. And it's all, you know, convenient to the, the, the plot, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but this sure. did stick out at me of just like. She doesn't. She's not found dead for another two months and found 160 miles away. How does Ziggy know that it starts here? Yeah, you know the interesting thing is, is like I, I will say that this episode feels to me like it could have been. There are ingredients here to have made it mm-hmm. something kind of special, um, and that they, whether for time, which it sounds like that definitely had a big factor into the making of this episode. Um, you, you know, potential rewrites, a little bit more time with it could have, I think, strengthened some of these weaknesses. Um, overall, though, I think that, you know, there, there's some good performances, there's some good scenes, there's some really great beats. So I think, you know, ultimately I can't fault it too hard. Uh, but I, but I do think that that's kind of worth noting. Um, so historical context, I don't know that there's much to I mean really other than to say. talk about the you know the the history of cat houses and bordellos I don't really know much else to much else to bring up I think it's yeah. much more interesting like how like how they happen like how they're run now which we which we've touched on which we've touched right. on previously um I mean you got to think like we're kind of like in this idealized version of a bordello in this episode where where the women love their work. And we I mean, even when they're not working, they're walking around scantily clad and they just can't and they just can't right. wait to go to work and and have sex with either an old man or, you know, fat Carl or whatever. It's kind of an idealized version, which I you, you have to imagine that yeah. it's very much like uh, you know, like watch old westerns like Gunsmoke or or you know whatever, uh, right? Because she couldn't be called a prostitute or a madam, so she yes, yeah, Miss like yeah, that, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Miss Kitty on Gunsmoke. So you know, it's yeah, uh, yeah kind of like this glorified version where you know, in, in reality, you know, yeah. Well, it's, I guess one of the things that might be worth noting as far as historical context goes is that New Orleans did actually have legalized prostitution um, from about 1887 until about 1917. Um, so I, I guess that that's kind of uh, enough of a tie um, that at this point, you know, less than 50 years prior to when this episode takes place uh, was when it had quit being legal. But as we well know, that wasn't going to stop oh, sure. from yeah. continuing to run a cat house. Um, themes of the episode. 
This is difficult for me, and I think the reason why is because what what really more can you you draw from it other than fresh starts mm-hmm. and abuse is bad. <laughs> Sam, you're going out on a limb there. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. my hot take, Dennis. That's my mm-hmm. hot take for this one. Oh God, I hate hot takes. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's, I mean, you know, like I say, fresh starts. I mean, the fact that Gina has come to this place in order to get a fresh start is, I guess, interesting because it parallels Marsh's desire to have a fresh start, but what they both really need to do is go away in order to get that fresh start. Yeah. 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 We we kind of glossed over, like, the, the one scene where Marsha realizes that Gilbert doesn't want to have anything, not anything to do with her, but doesn't want to be with her that way, and just, like, her, her little breakdown about what a fool that she is. That's a really great scene. Yeah. It, it is a really great scene. It's I a very Tennessee yeah, Williams scene. It, yes. No, I completely agree. The episode has some of that strings in it. And I think that one of the things that could have made the episode stronger, and I usually don't del- delve into this too much, but if they would have steered a little bit more into sort of the sure. southern gothic feel yeah. of the episode, which there's definitely some elements of it there, and, 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 and realize that that's not mutually exclusive with the comedy. Like, you could still have comedic elements, but instead of making them kind of goofy, slapsticky sort of stuff, you could still have that, but but maybe go harder into that Southern Gothic quality. I think it could have been a much stronger episode overall, perhaps. But then again, that's just my taste, so who knows? There might be people out here who think that this is should have won all know. the I mean, so. you know, and it's also TV in the early 1990s, and when when you have network TV, when you have 22, 23 episode seasons... You have episodes that are incomplete, and that could, and that yeah, could be more. Absolutely. So, Dennis, take us to the leap out because, quite frankly, I think we've been waiting to over get to this next episode. Yeah, to really, yeah. yeah. If you think Give about it, a it. Mm-hmm. Sam leaps out, uh, and he's on stage in full makeup and crazy hair, playing a double neck <sighs> guitar, and shit's getting shit's crazy. Gonna, gonna, are you going to work on an acoustic cover of uh, a Fate's Wide Wheel for next week? In my abundance oh, sure. of free time, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> right? What about you? Are you uh, going to? You haven't even joined me at the open mic uh, night. I, I came the first night, yeah. Well, you came. Okay, yeah. I, I'm sorry. You came the first time. I mean, when before, I say join me, I mean. Take uh, the stage. Yeah, the thing is, it's like I mean, I have not played guitar in so long. I could, I, 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 I control the audience and do a little acapella stuff and. and <laughs> okay. How we'll, we'll do an acapella. How has the uh, uh, how 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 is the flavor of the place? Because the first night it, it it all seemed a little bit rough because it was the first night that they were doing the open mic in a while. Yeah. Uh, great, honestly. They, they moved it an hour forward, so it starts at 9 instead of 8, which I think helped a little bit. Um, it's, not like, it's not like we've been packing them in. You know, There's not a ton of people there, but it, it just feels right. And the people that are playing, there's a couple of guys uh, that, that have, along with me, have sort of been regulars. I'm the only mm-hmm. one that's been to all of them so far. Uh, but uh, you know, a couple of the other guys have like maybe only missed one or whatever. Um, so I, I like it. I like it. I think it's, you know, it's building into something. Uh, this will be the fifth week this Tuesday and uh, yeah, awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we'll see. But anyway, um, yeah. So Fate's Wide Wheel. That's uh, that's where we get our our, our name um, and the song in Glitter Rock uh, is titled that. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so also it's worth noting that he's jumped from 1961 to 1974. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're getting into some we're interesting things. We're getting it. We just have, uh, is it just the one, two, three, four, five, just six episodes. Like five episodes, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then we're on to season four. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that in a lot of ways. I, I, I really genuinely feel as though with season four and season five, we get um, more episodes that kind of step out of the comfort zone. I feel like season two and season three have a lot of the comfort zone kind of episodes, uh, which makes sense because they were establishing what the show was. Um, but I think with you know their season three finale and season four premiere, um, and then a number of episodes within the season, we get, we get stuff kind of stepping mm-hmm. a little bit outside of that. Um, I, I don't think we've hit a high watermark um, frankly, this entire season, like we had with the first few, like no. the first two episodes, yeah. um, you know, I think obviously Leap Home Part One and Part Two are some of the best episodes of the entire series. So it's a hard, hard thing to do. Um, but yeah, there's some, there's some, there's still I mean, some good stuff. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of the episodes early in season four: uh, Justice, Raped, The Wrong Stuff, Dreams. Those are the ones that, yeah, they kind of stretch themselves out of their comfort zone a little bit. So that'll be interesting yeah. to get into. Yeah, it really it really will, and I'm 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 looking forward to it. But in no means do we want to shortchange any of the episodes yeah. we've got coming up because we've got some good stuff, including Glitter Rock and Heart of a Champion. Um, any final thoughts, Dennis? I'm sorry, the Google Hangout broke up. What'd you say there? I, asked I, I if you uh, had any I final thoughts. Thought, yeah, this is kind of an average episode. It's a it's a thing, you know. I'll, I'll, right. I, you know, I would catch it if it was on reruns. Uh, if I was not doing a rewatch for the podcast, I don't know if I would ever go out of my way to pop this one into my Blu-ray player. Right. I, yeah. You know that that in today when we have the access to everything at our fingertips, I think it is sort of worth identifying those episodes that you do want to say like, oh, I want to watch this episode. And this is, like you say, this probably isn't one of those episodes. Um, I, I have a feeling, um, and and this is by no means me indicting the season as a bad one or, or trying to say that I don't love the show because clearly I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't. But I have a feeling that my season three Blu-rays are not going to get the workout maybe that some of my season two and season four and season sure. five Blu-rays are. Um, that being said, I don't think that there's any episodes in this season so far that are as bad as Machiko <laughs> or Troyan or some of what's yeah. some of what's coming up. I think that there are worse episodes, quite frankly, in season four, season and five. But I think that season three at this point kind of just feels average, with the exception, of course, of the sure. high water mark. I would agree with that. And this episode is sort of yes, exemplary. I would, that. I would concur. Cool. Well, are you ready to wrap it up for this week? And well. I think we should. You know, this new format has really done a wonderful job of getting us under. Uh, you know, an hour I know. You know, but, but if anything, so. it, it, it has taken out us <laughs> stumbling through the play-by-play, which uh, which I like. But that's but true. Listeners, let us know we, we, what you think. Yeah, absolutely. Because hey, it's not too late for us to turn back. We'll just go back and sure. record these we'll two episodes. We'll in erase the old them. Way. It's like they yeah. never happened. <laughs> 
right. Well, hey, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, remember to uh, hit that subscribe button on iTunes and yeah. uh, give us a review. Give us give us a yeah. like. You know, the more five stars we get, the the more people get eyes on us, the more we can do fun stuff. Um, and fun stuff might even include potentially the possibility of a crossover yeah. with another uh, quality yeah. podcast out yeah. there. Yeah, let's talk about it could that. happen. All right, we'll see. All right, we will. We'll see you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. See